Raider Nation, it's that time of the week again. Subscribe and tune in to get the latest news and analysis on everything silver and black. But yes, the Las Vegas Raiders have their guy, Josh McDaniels. Looking for objective opinions and interviews with A-list guests? Just pod, baby. Congrats on 100 episodes. I'm happy for you guys. Keep doing your thing, and thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. Look no further. You are listening to Just Pod, baby, a Las Vegas Raiders podcast. Brought to you by SportsNot.com. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. And now your host, Evan Grote. Welcome back, Raider Nation. Let's go. Just Pod, baby, brought to you by SportsNot.com. The offseason is upon us. Lots to get into over the next couple of weeks. Make sure you are subscribing to the show. Anywhere you get your podcast from, you can find Just Pod Baby. The Raiders' season ended in ugly fashion last week at Allegiant Stadium on Saturday night with the loss to the Chiefs. And there's not much to take away from that game other than to say we were reminded once again that as long as Andy Reid and, and, and Patrick Mahomes are together, the AFC West division goes through Kansas City, and that is what the Raiders are working towards this offseason. They are working to try to close the gap between themselves and the Chiefs. That should be the, the number one priority for Dave Ziegler. Now, over the next couple of weeks and months, we will get into all of it. Free agency, possible trades. We just heard Ian Rappaport this week tweet out that the Raiders will begin the process of evaluating the trade market for Derek Carr, so I'll be all over that for you. The draft process, including Senior Bowl coverage, NFL Combine, and something new that I want to bring to the show this year is that I want to bring on some guests uh, during the offseason leading up to the draft, and I want to start breaking down some of these prospects that are coming out of this year's draft to help bring you the information and and highlight some of the, the talent that could end up in silver and black. So I'm really excited about that, and I'm really excited to, to turn the page on the 2022 season and begin to look ahead to the 2023 season. Now, the rundown for the show this week, it's just you and I, no guests. And, you know, I was doing some reflecting uh, as I was preparing for the show this week, and I was looking back at past shows and, and um, you know, past shows going all the way back to last off season, all the way up into training camp. And, I started thinking about some of the statements that I made, some of the predictions, I guess you could call them, that I was making about the Raiders in 2022. And and so that kind of inspired me to come up with the segment, uh, f- the first segment for the show this week. And that will be that um, I want to discuss the things that I got right about the Raiders and the things that I got wrong about the Raiders in 2022. So we're going to have a little fun with that. I actually tweeted that question out to you guys this week and I wanted to hear what you guys had to say and I got a lot of good responses and um, I will read a couple of those responses a little bit later on and then in segment two um, we're going to discuss Derek Carr and the possible different trade scenarios that are out there the best landing spots you know um, there's a lot of work to be done on this roster, we all know that, but the first order of business for Dave Ziegler has to be to try to try to find a trade partner, uh, you know, for Derek Carr, because time is definitely of the essence with that February 15th trade deadline quickly approaching. Who are some of the teams that I believe will make the most sense? What could, or what will Derek Carr bring back in return as far as trade assets? 
Would he even accept a trade? I think that is a big, big question mark right now. I don't necessarily think that is a slam dunk. I'll tell you why I think that um, a little bit later on in the show. Now, I'm sure you guys have a lot of ideas on what you think about a possible trade with Derek Carr, so feel free to reach out to me through Twitter. Send me a DM, justpodbaby.com at the contact page, or you can also even send me an email at Evan at sportsnot.com. There's plenty of ways to reach me. I'd love to hear from you guys and get some of your thoughts on all of this that we're going to be discussing here this week. So let, let's let's get to it. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's get it started. Things that I got right and things that I got wrong, let's start with the things that I was correct about in 2022 with the Raiders. Number one, after the hiring of Josh McDaniels, and, and this, this occurred before the trade of Devontae Adams when I first made this statement. Now, I stuck with that statement even after the trade and after they acquired um, Chandler Jones as well. But I said many times on the show, and even through the, throughout the season, I brought this point back up. So I'm sure you're tired of hearing me say it. But I believe that the Raiders were due for a regression in 2022. Now, my reasoning was based on two things. First, first and foremost, the style in which the Raiders won most of their games in the previous season, in 2021. Too many games that were won on last-second field goals and game-winning drives. Now, those were nice to have those wins, don't get me wrong. You know, a win is a win. But I was looking at the big picture. You know, the recipe, the the process, not just the, the product. And I just never believed that that is something that would carry over from one season to the next. You just don't see that kind of thing happening. Not how you have, you know, consistent success in the NFL. And 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 you know, and, and I was I proved that proved to be true, my my thoughts. They actually came out on the opposite end of a lot of those close games. Several uh one score losses this year. You look at the Minnesota Vikings this year, they finished 13 and 4, but 11 of their wins were on one score games. So so you know, the Raiders were on one end of the spectrum and, and the Vikings were on the other end of the spectrum and that's why I would not be shocked to see the Vikings next year experience something similar than what the Raiders did. Maybe not 6 and 11, but I expect them to have a little regression as well, just based on how they won some of their games, because sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way. Sometimes you don't catch those breaks that you need to, to win a lot of those close games. Now I do expect things to even out a little bit more for the Raiders in 2023. Um, And I know that's a little bit premature for me to say, we don't even know who the quarterback is going to be next year, but I just do not expect it to be so, you know, feast or famine with this team. Um, next year. Now, I guess that's already, I'm already making my first prediction or my first statement uh, of 2023 there. So you can mark that down if you want and, and see if I'm right about that. But, you know, the other part of my reasoning, I told you there were two reasons why I always felt that way. The other reason why I felt a regression was because of the new coaching staff. You know, you had a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, all new coaches, uh, a, a lot of new personnel on both sides of the ball. And, and I just wasn't quite sure if it would all click right away. And, you know, there was just so many new parts to the organization, not only on the field, but off the field. I mean, they had a new, uh, uh, they hired a new team president. There was a lot of changes in the organization from top to bottom. Now, did I think that it would take an entire season to get things going? You know, at, at some point I thought, okay, they're going to get it going. And they did in, in, in small little spurts. We saw them have some good moments. Um, but they just were never able to get it going consistently. And the thing that's very frustrating about that is 
there were a lot of other teams in the NFL this year who also had new head coaches, new staffs, new personnel, and they were able to get things figured out a lot quicker than the Raiders were in a lot of these in, in a lot of these cases, those teams made the playoffs, like the Giants, like the Dolphins, like the Vikings. So, I um, mean, even in, even uh, in Jacksonville, they had a new head coach there as well. So, you know, was was frustrating for sure to, to watch as a fan. But um, no doubt about it, you have to point to the head coach for a lot of those failures because this was a playoff team a year ago, and despite the fact that they did win a lot of close games, they did return a lot of the core players, and you would have expected that they were going to be a little bit more competitive than what they. They were this season. Um, number two, the number two thing that I got right about the Raiders this year is Patrick Graham. Patrick Graham. I did not think he was a a high end defensive coordinator, and I believe I got that right. Um, at least for this year, anyways. Now, I mean, he's going to be brought back again next year, and we'll, we'll see what he can do. But at least for the first season, um, I think my my statement about you know being a little bit unsure of him was justified. Now I I actually went back and I was Googling different articles this week, um, going back to when he was hired, just to make sure that I was uh, remembering things as I did when he was hired. And and I was right. I found articles out there that called him a home run hire for the Raiders and Josh McDaniels and, and universally, you know, from um, different media outlets, national media, Raider Raiders podcasters, um, bloggers, they all felt this was a great hire and I, I just, I never saw it. Now I know he was interviewing for head coaching positions. He, he, he interviewed for that Vikings job. He comes from the Patriot way, you know, he comes from that Bill Belichick tree he was known as a great teacher. He's, he's an innovator. He's got innovative ideas. Um, he's matchup specific, multiple looks, not committing to the 3-4, the 4-3. He's going to do whatever it takes to win. I, I know all of that. We heard all of that. Um, but I, I again, I looked at the numbers and I, I looked at the data and I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I'm not a big film guru kind of guy, but so I wasn't breaking down film by any means, but I just did not understand the hype when Patrick Graham was brought in. So Again, I think I was justified in making that statement. I, I do think the defense did show some improvement along the way late in the year. I would say six of the last eight games, they they played a little bit better. They were more productive in getting after the quarterback. They created some more takeaways. Um, they did hold opponents to, to um, less points as well, with the exception of the the uh, 49ers game and, and the Chiefs game. But again, I think it was the six games prior to that. They were pretty darn good if you go back and take a look. Um, but still, nowhere near good enough. They, they you know, again, the turnovers and the sacks, uh, just embarrassingly low. Uh, last in the NFL in takeaways with 13. 26th in points um, allowed this year, 24.6 points allowed per game. 28th in total yards. And, you know, I don't care what the NFL uses to determine their defensive rankings. I'm always going to use points allowed. I think I think it's silly to use total yards as your uh, ranking for number one defense. But anyways, as I said, Patrick Graham, he's going to be back in 23. Um, and I hope they find him some talent to work with because you know I'm a firm believer that a coach is only as good as his talent for the most part. You got to have something to work with. And, and, and to me, the problem is twofold. Number one, I don't think he's a, he's a, great defensive coordinator. I think he's an okay defensive coordinator, but he also, you know, he needs some talent. The cupboards are bare right now in this Raiders defense. Outside of Max Crosby, outside of Max Crosby, who else do you feel confident about 
in this defense right now going forward. Because I can't think of anyone else right now other than Crosby. Not even the young guys, uh, Nate Hobbs. I mean, he 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 took a step back this year as well. Now, I hope they decide to move him back into the slot next year. I think that experiment with him on the outside did not go well. I think he needs to be needs to go back into the slot, but that's a conversation for another day. So those are my two those are the two things that I that I feel that I got right about the Raiders this year. Now jumping over to the things that I got wrong, and I must admit, I was wrong about a heck of a lot more than I was right about. But the first thing that I was wrong about, Mac Hollins. <laughs> I believe I put him on my preseason most hyped list. If you think back to training camp, he was getting all kinds of press and camera time from the media. And you have to remember, he was also one of the training camp um, training camp battles, that, that third and fourth wide receiver spot. And Mac Hollins won it easily. They ended up cutting Demarcus Robinson. He, went, he didn't even make the team. Um, so he clearly was a standout there. Um, and I and I did not see him having a role on the offense like other people did out there. I just I I didn't think that was possible. Um, I knew what they were getting in him a, a core special teams player, a guy who would make a difference on on special teams. But I never expected him to come in and contribute like he did as a receiver. He ended the season as the Raiders' number two wide receiver. Now he took advantage of an opportunity that he was given. Um, when Waller and Renfro went down with the injury, but that's a credit to him because he not only did he get put into that situation, but he was fairly productive in that role as well. He finished the year second on the team in targets, receptions, yards, and touchdowns. 57 catches for 690 yards, four touchdowns. His previous career high in those categories were 16 catches for 226 yards. And so now he enters free agency because he signed only a one-year deal with the Raiders worth $2 million. And he could look to try to parlay a career year with the Raiders into a decent payday for him. Now, he's a valuable guy to have on your roster because, as I mentioned, he brings so much to the table. You know, special teams, you need guys like him on that team. He's a big physical receiver. He can block, and he can make plays. And, and we saw that, and we saw that he's a good guy to have in the locker room. You need people like him in your locker room. And it would be interesting to see if the Raiders do want to bring him back. Now, they already have a lot of money invested in the receivers, Waller, Renfro, Adams. And I do believe he's going to want to cash in on this on this season that he just had. You know, Do they feel like they can bring him back on a raise from the $2 million that he was earning in 2022? That'll be something to keep an eye on here. Um, going forward. Now, the other thing that I got wrong this season was that Josh McDaniels would improve the Raiders' red zone offense. I was wrong about that. That did not happen. In fact, they converted this year 48.9% of their red zone opportunities into touchdowns, which was their lowest percentage. I went and looked this up since 2012. That's going back 10 years. This was their worst red zone production in 20 years. Now, this is touchdowns only I'm talking about, okay? Touchdowns only. And that number, 48.9%, was down 0.3% from 2021 last year when Gruden and Olsen called the plays. And and so, you know, I also went back and looked at the numbers for New England when McDaniels was there. I only went back to 2018 for this, but... Three times since 2018, the Patriots converted 
more than 58% of the time touchdowns in the red zone. Twice, two of those seasons, they converted at 63% of the time. And that last season that he was with New England in 2021 with a rookie quarterback, Mac Jones, was one of those years that they com- that they converted 63% of their red zone opportunities into touchdowns. So um, there's no doubt about it. A higher success rate in the red zone would have led to more wins for the Raiders. It was a factor. And based on some of the numbers um, that I just mentioned, that the Patriots offense had with McDaniels calling those plays, especially with a rookie quarterback in 2021, I assume that would trans over, transfer over uh, to the Raiders offense who have more weapons to work with on top of that and, and and not a rookie quarterback. But I was wrong about that. That was something that I definitely missed on. Um, so those are just those are just a couple of of my my hits and misses. There's 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 more obviously. And if you want to chat with me about them, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, but before I get to a break, um, I do want to share a couple of the responses that I got from you guys on Twitter when I put the question out there. I got a lot of good responses, and I I appreciate that. But I'm gonna I, I picked out two that I liked. Uh, we've got one coming all the way from Denmark. That's right. We've got a we've got a listener here from Denmark, Soren Nikolai. He says, I thought Trayvon Merrig would be a top safety in the league and Darren Waller would be a top five tight end this year. So he was he was wrong about those ones. You know, I am concerned about the development of Trayvon Merrig myself. Um, I thought he had a, a decent rookie year, kind of a quiet, steady rookie year, didn't make a whole lot of mistakes. But I think this year you saw him take step back. And that's not what you want to see from a young player who you who you invested a you know a second round draft pick in. Darren Waller, I think we gotta give him I mean he he was hurt. Um and, and so that that cut into a lot of his production, um, obviously. Um and the things that um Soren was right about, he said, I thought the old line would suck. <laughs> Those are his words, not mine. Um and he says, I got that right. Now um, oh, he also said the defensive tackle position would disappoint. Yeah, so I I, I would have to agree there. Um, I think he did get those two right. But I, I have to go into a little bit more depth with the offensive line. I have to admit, no, they weren't great, and I'm not I'm not defending them, but I'm I'm gonna continue to say that I think they played better than what I expected. I'm not sure how you guys feel about this. They did help pave the way for the NFL's leading rusher, and I know that Jacobs you know, it was so good in breaking tackles and, and picks up a lot of yardage after contact. But in terms of run blocking, you know, they, they were good enough. I thought they weren't, they, they, they didn't hold the team back. They didn't hold the run game back in any way, you know, pass blocking. I thought they could be better, but by interestingly enough, though, if you look on pro football focus, they graded them out as their ninth best pass blocking offensive line. Uh, which I think is interesting, but when you know you got to watch the games too. You know, Pro Football Focus is just one way to, you know, to 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 get data on the game. I think the eye test is a big part of it, and I think you could point out many times where pressure really affected the passer. Um, Dylan Parham and Alex Bars ranked second and sixth in pressures allowed among all NFL guards, and then you go to the center position, Andre James. He ranked sixth. And pressures allowed for center. So there was definitely a problem on the interior part of the offensive line when it came to pass blocking. And I do think, you know, you'll see some, some changes or some upgrades being made there. Um, the one other 
response I got on Twitter that I wanted to share with you is from Bazooka in San Francisco, California. He says, I was right that the Raiders would not be a nine plus win team. And I was wrong that Derek Carr would have a year similar to 2016 and 2020. So yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, I agree with you on the, the nine wins. I, I had nine as my uh, floor. I, I did a floor and, and ceiling uh, worst and best case scenario. I had nine wins as the, you know the worst case scenario for the Raiders, and I had 12 wins as the best case scenario. So I thought they were going to settle in, you know, around nine, nine or 10 wins. That didn't happen. As far as Derek Carr is concerned, um, you know, I was wrong on him as well. I, and I think we all were wrong. I, I think the consensus out there is that, you know, we all believe Derek Carr was going to have a better year. I mean, how could you not um, expect that when you bring in Devontae Adams, you know, an, an all pro wide receiver? And, um, you know, if you're someone out there that that thought that Derek Carr was going to take a step back in this offense, please contact me because I, I want you to pick some lotto numbers for me if you predicted that one. I know I certainly didn't see that coming, but again, I want to thank everyone out there who, um, you know, responded to my my tweet and uh, was able to interact a little bit there with me. Um, I do want to step aside here, though. I want to get to a quick break, and when I return, we will discuss Derek Carr trade options, best fits. Is he worth a first-round pick? What does he bring back in return? And I think the bigger story here is: Will he be willing to trade or to to to, to waive? Excuse me, the no-trade clause that he has in his contract. So don't go anywhere. Just Pod Baby coming right back. Brought to you by SportsNot.com. Okay, Red Nation, we are back. First new show of the offseason. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Just Pod Baby can be found anywhere that you get your podcasts. Please do me that favor. Click that subscribe button if you would be so kind. Now, all pro teams did come out this week. I'm sure you saw it. Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs, along with Daniel Carlson, the kicker, were all selected the first team. Honors. Congrats to them. Very well deserved, of course. Somehow, Max Crosby got the snub. Not quite sure how that happened. Didn't even get recognized as a second team All-Pro. And you saw the tweet that Devontae Adams put out there defending his teammate. Um, You got to scratch your head on that one. How does he not make a second team at least? So anyhow, um, not sure I agree with that one, but we do move along. Big changes ahead for the Raiders in the offseason. None bigger than the quarterback, as we know. Who is it going to be is the big question. We know one man it's not going to be, and that is Derek Carr. He officially said his goodbye to the team this week on social media, and we learned that the team has already begun the process of you know starting to put some feelers out there to see what the interest is like throughout the league. Here is a clip from NFL Network's insider Ian Rappaport. Yeah, I would say that's that's a good way to sum it up. The Raiders need to gauge the market, see what it is, see how hot Derek Carr's name is. And you know in this league, Andrew, finding a quarterback is the most important thing. There are many, 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 many quarterback-needy teams, and there will be more 
as we get into the offseason. So the Raiders, uh, who seem to be moving on in their minds, not firmly and finally, but moving on in their minds from Derek Carr, need to figure out what is the trade market. And Tom, of course, time is of the essence here. There is a firm deadline here, February 15th at that point. $40.4 million in salary becomes fully guaranteed for Derek Carr. So that is when a decision point needs to be made. A trade could be difficult, but not impossible. And yes, the Raiders are going to be speaking to teams soon to figure out what is there for Derek Carr. All right, so there you heard from Ian Rappaport on the NFL Network. And this is a, this is such an interesting situation because it could play out in a number of different ways. Let, let's start by examining the trade market. You heard Rappaport say there, there's a lot of teams that are in need of a quarterback. You know the names of many of those teams by now, the Jets, the Panthers, the Commanders, Saints, the Bucks. If Brady decides he doesn't want to return to, to football or, or to the Bucks, the Falcons, I think, could be a team to keep an eye on. Um, and then there's another team to consider, the Miami Dolphins, because you, you just don't know what the future holds for Tua and his concussions. That is a very, very serious situation that he's dealing with. Will he decide to continue playing? Uh, I think that's something that we'll, we'll learn here in the near future. Um, if you had the Indianapolis Colts on your list, you can scratch them off because one of the beat writers for the Colts, he writes for The Athletic, he came out on Friday and said Indy is not trading, is not interested in trading for Derek Carr, which is is a tough pill to swallow because just a year ago, there was rumors that they were offering two first-round picks for Derek Carr. And, and now this year, they're no longer interested. So anyhow, if a trade is to go down, which that is a big if at this point, I, I still think that is a big if, and I'll, and I'll explain why uh, in just a second. I, I think there's a couple of teams that stand out a little bit more than the others. Um, that make a little bit more sense than some of the others. I think the three NFC uh, South teams that I mentioned, I, I think they make a lot of sense. The Saints probably have to be at the top of that list um, because, well, there's many reasons, but the Saints, the Panthers, and the Bucks, in, in, in no particular order, really. Um, first of all, you know the, the NFC West division, it's, it's not a real strong division. The Patriots, excuse me, the Buccaneers, made the playoffs with an eight and nine record. And then the other three teams finished seven and 10. So it's all, you know, it's competitive, but they're not all very good. And I think that would be really appealing to Carr because it would be the easiest route for him to get to the playoffs. Now, if I'm connecting dots, which is something you have to do in these situations, I believe the saints with Dennis Allen as their coach, he's going to be, he did, they didn't announce that he'll, will be brought back. You know, there's a connection there with him and, and Carr going back to Carr's rookie year. Um, I, I think it's would also be attractive to Carr that that they play, you know, in in the South, where he's going to be in a dome. He's going to be playing road games in Carolina, in Atlanta, another dome, Tampa Bay, in Florida. So he's not going to have to worry about weather, cold weather, especially. He's got Chris Olave there, good-looking young wide receiver. Elvin Kamara, I know he didn't have the year that he's used to having this season, but he's still only 27 years old. I think he's still got a couple good years left in him. And then the defense, you know, fifth in total yards and ninth in points allowed. And one of the things that David Carr said a couple of weeks ago on NFL Network when he was speaking about what Derek would be looking for in a future team was 
was stability. And I, and I think that's something that the Saints organization would offer. You know, I know they had a lot of stability under Sean Payton, and he's no longer there, but this this isn't a franchise that exa- it, that is exactly dysfunctional either. So I think the Saints make a lot of sense. When it comes to the Bucks, I wonder if Carr would want to follow in Brady's footsteps. I mean, those are big shoes to fill, although Brady was only there for a short time. He did win a Super Bowl while he was there. So I, you know, I'm not quite sure that he would be willing to jump at the opportunity to replace Brady. Um, and they did only finish eight and nine with Brady. The offensive line there is in shambles. They have no run game. So I think that would take some convincing. The Panthers are another team. I know, you know, they finished seven and 10. They had all kinds of quarterback issues this year. I think they're a young team that if they could find the right head coach, you know, which I think would be a huge factor there to get Carr there, you know, I, I think that would help them. But, you know, I would not be shocked to see any one of those three NFC South teams get involved. And I I know the team that everyone is talking about is the Jets. And it it does seem like that would be a good landing spot for him. You know, they were in playoff conversation most of the season, but just did not have any kind of consistent quarterback play. I mean, I know Mike White came in there and did some good things, but are they really expecting Mike Mike White to be the guy? I, I just don't see that. So, you know, they are a young team. They've got a very young roster. They had some good draft picks uh, last year. Sauce Gardner and Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson. You know, the offense got some young weapons. They've invested uh, in a couple of offensive linemen recently, Makai Becton being one of them. They, they need to get him healthy. But, but I think this is an offense that is young and ascending. And, um, you know, they, they could just need a, a veteran quarterback there to kind of lead them and guide them. And then, of course, we all know the most attractive factor with the Jets is that number four defense and total yards and points allowed. They really took a big step forward this year um, under the guidance of their defensive-minded head coach, Robert Sala, who I think is a decent head coach. I don't think he's going anywhere. So I think you have some stability there with the head coach. Um, and I, I did see a report this week. I think I saw it on Wednesday or Thursday that the owner of the Jets has already come out and said, you know, he's willing to spend big money, you know, on a veteran quarterback this offseason if he needs to. So um I think that makes, you know, a lot of sense. But I, I do have to say, I have a couple of reasons also why I think Carr might be a little bit hesitant um to go play for the Jets as well. Now, number one is they have not been the most stable organization or franchise. I think, you know, I think at the moment they've they've kind of settled things down, but traditionally the Jets have been a mess. I mean, talk about the Raiders being a mess. The Jets are right up there with them. That's number one. Number two, they play in the AFC East. Now that division right now, that's Buffalo's division, and and, and for the foreseeable future, in my opinion, as long as Josh Allen is is around that 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 division goes through buffalo kind of like how the afc west goes through kansas city i mean you're talking about you know a top 3 quarterback in the nfl you got to go through him to get to the playoffs um in that division and also when you talk about the afc east you're talking about playing road games in buffalo late in december new england 
and you're talking about playing half of your home games in New York, the Meadowlands, in November, December, and January. And you cannot overlook the cold weather factor. You know, he has struggled in the elements, in cold weather games. I'm not so sure he's built for that. And so that's why I think that might turn him off to have to go play all, you know, a lot of those football games on the East Coast, in the snow, in the rain, in the wind, for a guy that grew up in California and has played his entire NFL career and college career on the West Coast in in warm climates, I'm not so sure he's going to be looking to you know to jump to go play on the East Coast. And then lastly, I wonder how he handles the New York media. You know, playing in New York is a heck of a lot different than playing out in Las Vegas or Oakland. I mean, th- listen, I'm a Yankees fan. I've told you guys that, and and that media in New York is is a whole nother animal. So I'm not so sure he's 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 built for that New York media as well. Those are two things or three things that I think um, he's going to think long and hard about before you know he'd be willing to go play for the Jets. Um, so those were a couple of my thoughts there. Now, as far as trade compensation is concerned, I just mentioned last year it was rumored that the Colts were willing to give up two first round picks for him. And we've seen the, the draft capital that was given up for Matthew Stafford and, and, and Carson Wentz a year ago. I mean, there's been all kinds of quarterback trades. But I, I right now, I'm not so sure that a team would be willing to part with the first round pick for Derek Carr. And that's not a, a knock on Derek Carr. I, I just think part of that has to do with the contract. $33 million in 2023. And then that number goes up to $42 million in 24. Um, you know, so that, that makes it a little bit more difficult for a team willing to just give up the one. Now it only takes one team. That's all it takes is one team to think that he's worth a first round draft pick to get that offer. But I think a second round pick for sure is what you could expect. Maybe a couple other picks, maybe a late round pick, a second and a third, perhaps second and a fourth, um, something along those lines. I'm not so sure. I, I, I would not get your hopes up that a first-round pick is a slam dunk. I do think um, that contract is is it's not doing Dave Ziegler any favors when you look at it. It's it's not doing him any favors. Um, but I, but I'm pumping the brakes. I don't think the Raiders, if a trade is to go down, I don't think they get a massive haul for him um, in return. But they'd be happy to get anything at this point because if they don't trade him, they've already said they're going to cut him. Now, all of these scenarios and all of this speculation means absolutely nothing if Derek Carr is not willing to waive his no trade clause, which if I was a betting man and I'm not, I rarely ever bet, okay? I'd rather keep my money. But I'm going to say that he is not going to be willing to waive that no trade clause. I do think he is taking this personally. And rightfully so. He's got a right to take it personal. You know, he doesn't think that it, he was treated fairly. That's fine. I'm not disagreeing. Okay. Although I've told you how I feel about it, but he's entitled to feel the way he wants. You heard the comments his brother David made a week ago or a week or so ago. And you know that Derek has those same feelings. He's speaking for Derek there. These are prideful people. Why would he want to help the Raiders in all of this? Why? He has the leverage in this. He not only controls whether or not the Raiders get draft capital in return, but he could also control 
who he plays for next year if he's cut and becomes a free agent. And ultimately, that's just how I see it all, how this all ending. Now, Carr has never played the free agent market. I think that's something that would really be intriguing to him. I believe he wants to have that experience of being courted by different teams, maybe playing them up against each other, trying to create a bidding war for his services. Now, would he be leaving money on the table if he doesn't waive the no trade clause? I think that's possible. I think it's possible to suggest that he would not get 30, 35, you know, 33 to 35 million dollars on the open market. I think that would be something that could be a risk for him. You know, again, coming off of a a down year, I know that these NFL people, they know what's going on. They know that there were other issues involved, but he's not exactly coming off his best season like he was a year ago when he led them into the playoffs. His stock was as high as it was going to get last year in the offseason. But you never know. That might be a risk that he's willing to take. He might be willing to risk the fact that if he you know, does not waive the trade clause, that he could make the same kind of money. Maybe money's not even a motivator for him. We don't know. But, you know, I've always said he's a great guy, great person. But I 100% believe, despite that, he feels wronged in all of this. And, you know, he's not going to be looking, in my opinion, this is only my opinion, he is not going to be looking to do anything to help his old team in any way. So those are some of my thoughts on that. We will know the outcome very, very soon because the February 15th deadline, it's only it's only a month away. So we're going to find out the future of Derek Carr, where he's going to be playing football next, and, and whether or not the Raiders are going to have a couple additional draft picks in just a month. All right, Raider Nation, that is all I have for you this week on the show. As I told you, at the top, I am working on a couple of draft prospect profiles coming very soon. One of the positions we will be taking a really in-depth look at is the quarterback position. Now, I don't think Bryce Young is going to be there for Las Vegas at number seven, but what about C.J. Stroud? What about Will Levis? I know there's some growing chatter with Anthony Richardson from Florida. We're going to get a guest or two on to help us learn more about some of these prospects. And I think you're going to really enjoy that. So make sure you're tuning in for that. Be on the lookout. Also, be on the lookout for a brand new show coming next week. Now that we are on the off-season schedule, I plan to record the show on Fridays to be released on Friday evening. So you can plan on that until further notice. And also, Super Wildcard Weekend. You don't want to miss it. Five playoff football games. I'm looking forward to it. Should be entertaining. Until the next time, everyone, enjoy your weekends. And as always... Just win, baby.